welcome to the first episode of the Match Report podcast. Uh, our hosts are me, Ben from the Match Report, Tom from Prem Rugby News, and Ollie Wallace. And our special guest for this week is Safa's Abroad Rugby, otherwise known as Darren. He'll be joining us later on to talk everything South African in the Premiership. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about is the, the biggest news, or why I think the biggest news from the week is, is the proposed Prem Rugby second teams in the Championship. What do we think of it? I always wonder, after you mentioned it, if they, um, they put these rumours out to like gauge fan interest. Yeah, I, th- I think a similar sort of situation to the South Africa joining the Six Nations. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it, it'll be an interesting thing. I think they're proposing it for the 2024 season. I can't see how it would work in any way. I mean, I'll come out and say I, I, I hate the idea. It's horrific, mainly because of... Well, it makes no sense because of player welfare and how big the squads are. Because if you think about this season particularly, how many championship players Prem clubs have been using, like Wasps and Bath particularly, who've had like injury crises. They've used so many of their players that would normally be on loan in the championship. So there's just no way, realistically, that you could have enough players for a Prem B team to compete in the championship. Unless you field an academy side, I don't think it's physically possible. I mean, if you look at Wasps as an example, they were playing Josh Bassett at 13, not by choice for a large period. Whether or not they've changed that and they started using him as a 13, like going forward. But yeah, they were, they have, if you have to play your normal players out of position to even field a team, and then you're expecting to field an entirely new 23 for another game. That's not going to work. And also, it's not even a 23. You need more than 46 players because a match day 23 is not the only... They're not the only players that turn up to a game. If someone pulls out late, you have to have someone in the wings ready. So teams are going to have to be at least 50 strong. It would just kill the feeder clubs because, Sale, our B team would contain Sam Dugdale, Jack Metcalf, whoever else, who, if they're not playing for Sale, they're playing for Sale FC in National 1. So if they were playing for a sale B team instead of sale FC, you're just going to kill those feeder clubs. And I, I, I think then, like, in terms of sort of the structure and how it would all work, there would be 24 teams in the championship because there'll be all the all the B teams for the Prem teams, and then there'll be the championship clubs as well, unless they decide to move move the championship clubs down or. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure how it would work with 24 teams in the competition and how they'd be able to fit that in sort of throughout a season. You can't have a you can't have a second division with second tier teams from your top division with promotion because how could you have I don't know. Well, let's pretend Leicester's B team win the championship. You're promoting Leicester's B team. Of course you can't. You can't have two Leicesters in the Prem. So either you basically ring-fence the Premiership and say, yeah, this is now just to make the Championship more exciting. And I think if you did that, you'd have to split it in two because you can't have 24 teams in a league. It just wouldn't work. There's not enough time. Um, and safety-wise, it's just not possible. Or you have to say there is promotion, but it's only applicable to the Championship teams. And then if you get a situation where one of the Championship teams doesn't even come close to winning a league, it just seems a bit redundant. 
That's a good point. I feel like the the ring fencing of the Premiership permanently is definitely imminent because it's so obvious that the RFU just doesn't care about the Championship and they just don't want promotion, relegation. I was thinking as well, like geographically wise, I'm very vocal about the fact that the North isn't as engaged in rugby because of the lack of teams. So like Doncaster are the only Yorkshire team in the top two leagues. And you're basically proposing to replace Doncaster with a Newcastle B team, in which case you're just killing rugby in that region as well. With a Newcastle B team, a lot of their a lot of their academy get bumped up to the first team quite early on. So I yeah, I'm not I'm not sure they'd be able to have a full two teams with one competing in the championship as well as the Prem. Having a B team compete in another league is it encourages your fringe players getting promoted, really. That's the point of it. It's if, if you have a B team that play regularly at a high level, you can then have your fringe players promoted to the senior team more easily because they play more. The problem with that then is it dilutes the teams that already exist in that league. So I can see it both ways, but how can you have 24 teams trying to compete at the same time? I definitely feel like the RFU are missing a trick with the championship. Like They had such a great opportunity last year when Saracens were there to put the games on TV and they would get engagement and they would get views because and then once Saracens got promoted, people would still have that interest in the championship because they were watching it all season. I mean, we, as as Saracens fans, actually loved being in the championship because it was such a, uh, an enjoyable like place to be. I mean, all the games were really good fun. Um, there was competition. You can you can say what you want about the level, the difference in level between the top two leagues. But I mean, we still we lost the first game of the season. And we did not play like a kids team. Like it was still a very good team that we could field in the Prem and probably win a couple of games. So it just proved that the gap isn't as big as people think it is. Like Saracens lost a couple of games to to Pirates and to Ealing. And then Ealing beat Gloucester pre-season as well, like a, a strong Gloucester team. So the gap definitely isn't as big as people think it is. I, I think once you sort of ring fence the Premiership, then as those Championship teams don't really have anything to compete for, it sort of it, it will lower the level of the championship and i think by bringing in by bringing in second teams you're also adding to lowering the the level of the rest of the championship teams because you're not loaning out your players to them the difference that i think as well that you get is that there's always an element if you're in a second tier league that players as much as they're playing for the club, they're also playing for themselves. Because if you if you have a standout season, the chance of getting snapped up by a, a bigger club is quite high. And obviously, if you include second teams in that league, there's then less need for those championship players to be moved around. Along with that, though, comes the, the possibility that by having more coverage on the championship, bigger teams can just poach all of the players and then it dilutes those teams. What you don't want to happen is making the premiership clubs so much better that it's detrimental to the championship clubs and then the gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, really what you want is those lone players that go to the championship, they can make those championship clubs better. And often they go and sign permanent deals, which is great. Um, there's, there's always something that you can be said about 
moving from a Prem club to a championship club and making that championship club better. Like Alex Day for Saracens, he was always a Bedford player, but we had him for a couple of years and then he went back to Bedford and he's playing there every week and they love him. We loved him. So you don't want to strip those clubs of their best players. Otherwise they're just going to fall away and not be able to compete at any level. But at the same time, the championship needs the exposure because the players are still coming through. Like just this year, we've had we've had Dan Frost at Wasps, we've had Nick Dolly, we've had so many other players that are always coming through from championship clubs. Geordie Reed from Ealing as well. So the, the championship needs the exposure so people can see these players before before they come to the Premiership. Yeah, and I I, I think the links between between the Premiership clubs and the Championship clubs should be strengthened instead of adding in more Premiership clubs to the, to the Championship. Because, for example, with Nottingham and, and Leicester, they they loan each other players. They'll when we're playing in Prem Cup, for example, we took a few of the Nottingham players and played them in our squad and and things like that, just to sort of build up the sort of bond between the between the championship and prem clubs and then you can help sort of bring the championship up instead of sort of pushing it down and taking away a resource from them. That's pretty much what I was referring to earlier about killing the feeder clubs. Like uh Northampton and Bedford's a good one where like if you're a fringe player at Northampton and you don't get picked in the Northampton twenty three one week, you'll play for Bedford. So yeah. if you were instead playing for a Northampton B team, then Bedford are just going to collapse, basically. Yeah, and they'll they'll also be training with with the Prem club as well, so they'll still be getting access to that that better coaching. Whereas, yeah, if you if you kill that connection between them, then then it'll, it'll sort of fall apart a little bit. Okay, I think we've said enough on that. We'll go on to the. Uh... The next topic, which is the Dean Richards disciplinary, which I think is today, actually. It is, yeah. The, the the result from that hasn't come out yet, but I think I think he's it's pretty obvious what's going to happen. He'll he'll end up with a three four match ban or something like that. Um, but then again, it, it it's not his first time this season that he's come out and said some controversial things about decisions made in games. So he, he could see something worse than that. I saw an interesting tweet when uh, I think you tweeted it, Tom, about how um, about how this situation is different to the Razzie situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had an interesting conversation with someone who um, did, yeah, he, he said it was very similar to the Razzie situation and the points I made, sort of, to counteract his argument, were that Dean Richards was sort of in the heat of the moment. He's his squad's just lost to Exeter after being in the game for the for all of it, and and I think some of the decisions he was right about, uh, and some of the decisions he wasn't. Like the re- the red card was definitely a red card, um, so. I think I, I agreed with some of his points, but ultimately, well, I, I don't think you should come out after a game and attack a referee and sort of complain about their decisions. Yeah, I think with the with the Razzie situation, he 
not only threatened the referee, but he then released a, an hour-long video sort of complaining about it, which is a bit different from an interview after the game where the reporter is clearly trying to provoke a reaction. I mean, there's levels to it, aren't there? I think yeah. no matter what anyone can say, like you can't complain... You can complain, but you can't you can't lay blame on an individual in any kind of game, especially an official. Um, but yeah, the difference between the two is that for in the Lions, Razi did take make the decision to post game make a video on it. Um, there's a difference between having just walked off the field, having just lost in the 78th, 79th minute in a game that arguably you should have won, being absolutely fuming. And getting asked a question that you then like go off on one. I think there's a difference between that and then making the decision afterwards to highlight every single instance where you think someone did something wrong. Um, so yeah, I don't think the decisions will be the same. I, I think Richards will definitely get a ban of some kind, be that three, four games like you suggested, or potentially more. Yeah, I think that's the key thing is that Dean had the he knows he's got a camera in his face, but he's in the heat of the moment and he's he's angry. I think Razi has he sat down with the intention of, of of starting something controversial. The fact that he shared it to social media and he hasn't just kept the issue between him and whatever disciplinary board, I think that's definitely a difference for me. I think maybe that's less on him being his misconduct and more on him as a person needing to adapt to the game. I think maybe those decisions, specifically those two red cards, were clear red cards in today's game. He played last in 1997. It's a long time ago. Obviously, mm. loads of coaches played a long time ago. But I think maybe as a person, he needs to not accept that there are new rules, but maybe broaden his horizons about those new rules and realise that maybe some things that he may, he may disagree with them and say, I don't think that should be a red card. But actually, in today's game, it is a red card and you have to accept it and that you can't just, after a game or after a weekend go and complain about those decisions when they are actually correct. But then on a bigger scale, like we've seen it with the Six Nations, this whole thing where after every game, especially a close game, we just spend days just over-analyzing referee decisions. Like there was the one with the the Untamak pass to the to DuPont. And it got me so angry that we were just spending days and days after this such a good game, just over-analyzing whether this pass was slightly forward or in line. Yeah, no, definitely. It's kind of like if, if a game's decided by three points, if you're going to make the, the decision that actually that penalty shouldn't have been given, they should have won anyway, is there an argument also to say that, well, maybe if you hadn't done this or you hadn't done that, that that would have changed the result, not just the referee? I feel that's the most toxic side of, um, of rugby social media. All, all sports, though, that uh, just overanalyzing referee decisions after the fact when it can't affect anything. Yeah, because I like I'm sure you could you could go through a game and pick up yeah so many mistakes that a player has made as well as the referee. So to sort of single out the referee is is definitely unfair, but I can also understand why you would do it in the heat of the moment and why you would get annoyed. But fans afterwards on social media complaining about it, I think at some point you just have to draw a line under it and go right, these mistakes were made, but at the same time, we lost that game, we were outplayed, or whatever, 
and just yeah just sort of forget about it instead of continuously going through games and just finding moments where there were mistakes from the referee and sort of picking them out and complaining about them on social media for the for the rest of the week i agree what do we think about the uh the recent new signings for the premiership i know i'm very happy about one of them is that Don Barrow? <laughs> no, the other lock is uh, Groves, because we have a, a, a weakness in our in our reserves in our academy at lock. Obviously, we have good depth there in the first team, but we've had Phillips, Possefway, and Beaumont all injured for basically the whole of the season. So we've needed depth there for so long. And Groves, obviously, he looked good for England in the twenties. How much do you reckon he will play? sort of next season that definitely depends on the three i just mentioned because obviously the fact that we've signed two locks barrow and groves sort of suggests that one of phillips or beaumont could be leaving or retiring and it depends on their fitness as well because beaumont's been injured half of his career i mean you've just got cobus visa back from injury as well haven't you so he... but we are losing jp as well yeah that's true and rumours again of, is Lude staying? Is Lude going? Well, literally every South African club is rumoured to be leaving at the moment. And with a lot of a lot of South Africans returning back to South Africa, most likely Lude will be leaving. And you've also, uh, you've also signed Johnny Hill for next, next season as well. So We have, yeah. It's, it's clear that <laughs> you're focusing on the locks. It's definitely a power shift. Like we saw about a year, two years ago, all the South Africans just flooding to here in France. And now it's completely flipped on its head. They all just want to head back to South Africa. And I think some of that is probably to do with the World Cup in, in a couple of years. So they're all wanting to return so they can sort of get their chance internationally. Do you think it's something to do with the fact that there are so many over here now? that it's harder to get picked out as that like shining star. Like if you remember back to when Cobus Reinach joined Northampton, mm. he was the only, well, I mean, Faf as well, but he was the, it was his performances for Northampton that really like singled him out. Um, if you now look at something like back row or second row, there are so many South African back rows and second rows in the Prem that standing out is actually quite difficult. Whereas maybe returning home, um, might give that opportunity to to sort of appear in front of a new crowd that might see you and sort of raise you up and give you that chance to get into that World Cup squad for 2023. I remember when Ackerman first moved to Gloucester with his dad and he was like such a big thing, such a, a hot topic. And now you look at the back row, the South African back rows in the Premiership, you've got Liebenberg, Van Staden, the Duprees, and it's just sort of like Ackerman gets lost in all of that. Yeah, there's definitely a, a wealth of riches in the back row for South Africa, um, which will be debated later for our teams. What do we think of um, Callum Braley to Northampton? I don't, they must be losing someone because they've got about eight scrum halves now. I think they must be losing Lamani. Well, the, the, the rumour that is being passed around at the moment is that Lamani's off to London Irish and Nick Phipps will. Wow. Will make way either go to France or somewhere else. I think the Braley deal is is weird 
because you'd expect him to be wanting to be a starter for someone. Yeah. And it, yeah, he, he'll definitely be behind uh, Alex Mitchell. And Tom James as well. Tom James is such an underrated player. I think he could start for for quite a few Premiership clubs and he definitely deserves to be coming off the bench every week. Yeah, it's weird. Unless Brady has been in Italy for a few years and decided he wants to come back or maybe that he's now got his Italy place so secure that, I don't know if he has, but if he feels that he is securely in the Italy squad, that he can kind of play where he wants and maybe he does want to just be back in the UK. Um, but no, I think it is weird because they do, who they signed, um, who did they sign recently as well? End of last season to add to that scrum half list. Oh, is it Chris Cook? Yeah. Because at the moment they've got Mitchell, Lamani, Cook, uh, James, Connor Tupai, yeah, and Jake Garside. Well, I just feel like there's definitely an opening at the Italian nine spot. Like I feel like they have a really strong team now compared to previous years. But at nine, I feel like Varney has been struggling the last couple of weeks. So there's definitely an opening for Braley. So for him to go to a club that already have an established starting nine is just baffling to me. So if, if Braley was wanting to to get a starting place, but also wanting to be back in the Premiership, do you think there would be any Premiership club that he would start in? Yeah. Worcester, Newcastle. Worcester at the moment, Gareth Simpson, he's been pretty ridiculous considering he's come from almost nothing. But then, obviously, Callum Braley is, is that established, as much as he is young. I don't actually know if he's 24, but same age as he, roughly as, um, as Simpson. But yeah, no, Braley's kind of already established in the Prem. And Worcester have also got Willie Hines on the way back from injury. Um, but don't you feel like Worcester are literally two players away from, from being a top eight club? And I think one of them has to be a nine or a ten. Like, Finn Smith's playing out of his mind at the moment, but if they could bring in a marquee 10 right now, they could be a permanent top eight club. But yeah, no, Worcester have been, Worcester have been great. I think Brayley maybe would get a look in at, at Newcastle. Worcester though, Worcester have made some some confusing signings. Like, I don't know how much they're paying Rory Sutherland, but it's too much. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the best signing. I mean, even if you take away the red card he got and the fact that he's been banned, yeah, I'm not really sure that his impact has been quite as much as it wants to be, especially considering Ethan Waller is now back from injury and he was arguably the best loose head last year in the Prem. I think what what will be interesting with Worcester is obviously Diamonds in now, sort of seeing how he builds for next season because he could make some good signings, maybe some of the South Africans that are leaving sale might might end up following Diamond. So I think I think it'll be interesting now to see how he sort of takes them up to that next level. Obviously they beat beat Bristol this weekend, so I'll see if they can sort of follow from that and, and sort of build something. I think signing home nations internationals in this day and age, in this year, is just an awful decision, especially if you're a club lower down the table like Worcester. Because with the Six Nations, the Autumn Internationals, the Summer Internationals, you're getting like 10 games a season out of them. 
I think Duhan's paid off, but people like Baldwin and Sutherland, it's just baffling why you would sign an international when you could get someone who's free for the whole season. But if you if you have an international in your side that you've developed from your academy, it's fair enough. You're not going to offload them. But to bring someone in who you are, yeah, going to only have for, for nine, ten games. Look at Ashley Beck. Like, what a good signing that is. Like, someone who's just, he's done with Wales now. And he's just committed to Worcester. He's an experienced guy for the young players you've got. And he just plays so consistently every week. But also, I still think, I said at the time, and I still think the biggest reason for Sale making top four last season was that off the back of a World Cup year and going through the Six Nations, we only had one international in the whole squad. who was Tom Curry. So we literally had our whole squad training together every week and playing together every week. What do we think of Bath? Do we think they're reviving or do we think they're going to stay at the bottom? I think uh, I think they are sort of shipping out a few players um, who sort of don't provide their money's worth in terms of, you know, Valatau is, is leaving. They've got, they're looking at bringing in some South Africans who will be consistent and probably won't get picked for international levels. Um, so I think I think they they are definitely developing and sort of moving away from the internationals that they have. I think Anthony Watson, for example, is looking likely that he's going to be leaving, maybe to somewhere like London Irish, or I, I, I've been told that Wasps are also interested in him. So I think getting rid of those players that, like you said, spend a lot of their time being playing international games, I think getting rid of those is going to be the first step to sort of developing and and improving next season. I mean, I think that they need to sign Nathan Hughes on a permanent deal, for one. Not that I don't think, I don't think they'll be able to, but I think they should do, because since bringing him in, it really has changed the way that they have been playing. Um, I'm still not convinced by them. I think that they need a lot of work, but I think that they do have the facilities and I think they do have the personnel that they can sort of start working and building and climbing the table. I mean, Max Ajomo has been arguably their best player all season. Um, Will Muir, again, he's someone that very rarely does anything wrong. Um, if you take away his getting sent off the other day. Um, and I think Orlando Bailey needs to keep that 10 shirt and they ne- need to never give it to Danny Cipriani. Just don't don't let Orlando Bailey away from that 10 shirt because if they can keep him at 10, Adromo at 12 and or 13 and Cameron Redpath in as well, if they can keep that like structure in the centre, then... They, they just need to build on that and, and not change anything because eventually it will start to click. And if they do keep someone like Nathan Hughes or if they bring back Zach Mercer or if they convert uh, Bayliss into that eight permanently, then I think they should be fine. They just need to stop relying on those sort of past proven players. Like Anthony Watson is undeniably one of England's best back three players. Like even as much as he is injured, when he is playing well, he's one of the best but I think just having him in the squad 
when he's injured so often and hasn't really contributed to Bath that much, it doesn't get you anywhere. That's what I was saying about the um, the Home Nations internationals. Like, if you have Anthony Watson in your payroll at the moment as a club, how many games, like, what is the maximum amount of games you can get out of him with fitness, with injuries, with the Six Nations, with whatever? You're looking at about 10 games of Anthony Watson when you could just keep Will Muir, keep McConaughey. Rocket and Goonies playing so well this year as well. I think that Bath probably have quite a strong back three anyways, even without Anthony Watson. So I think sort of getting rid of him and bringing in other sort of under-the-radar players who you won't be paying as much as someone like Anthony Watson, I think that's sort of the way that they need to go. And I think it's looking likely that they're keeping Jonathan Joseph. And I think him working alongside a Jomo and sort of nurturing a Jomo and sort of improving his game, I think will be really beneficial for them. Like we've seen so far. Um, I've also just checked and Anthony Watson has played 43 games for Bath since the 2016-17 season. And in that last five, six years, to only play 43 games for your club is kind of well, it's weak when you've got other players that literally play 22 games a season. Um, it's it does it does make that that impact slightly less. But Anthony Watson, he's like one of the best wingers in the world. He's crazy consistent. Can you like identify at the top of your head like an amazing performance he put in for Bath, like a 10 out of 10 man of the match performance? I don't think you can do that as you can on the scale with England and the Lions. Yeah, no, definitely not. Certainly not for the last five years. All right, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. That's bad. I've had, I've had to come outside to the park. My building is blocking. Because we work with GDPR and data protection, they, our phones don't work inside. Oh. So I've, I've come to the park. So let me just find a spot to sit. I can't sit near the kiddie park because it looks a bit weird. <laughs> so we're now joined... We're very glad to be joined by um, Saffers Abroad, otherwise known as Darren. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, me, Tom and Ollie have uh, made our best South African Prem 15 and Darren is going to judge the best, obviously as an expert on South African rugby and South Africans in the Premiership. If you want to check these out, these will be on our Instagram account, matchreport.co.uk. So, yeah, if you want to go check those out and follow along as we discuss them, you can do. And there will be a vote later on, so be sure to check that out and vote for which one's your favourite. We're going to absolutely butcher some names, I've just realised. So, <laughs> I am the, the unique one for Loosehead. I have, I have Connie Oosthuizen. Yeah, and then we, okay. me and Ben, have both gone with Francois Van Vijk. Well, uh, I've agreed. I've agreed with you on Francois van Veik because I think at the moment, apart from um, who we currently have up front of the box, he's probably next in line to jump in at Loosehead. So he would have been my choice. I've, I've agreed with you there on Francois van Veik. I think he's like like any of the the Tigers who are from South Africa. I think they've you know they've stepped straight into that sort of family orientated vibe that you guys or that they have at Tigers um, and he's one of the ones that really 
you know, embrace that. And especially up front, um, I've not had the pleasure of meeting him yet. I think he's one of the ones that when the job's done, you know, he likes to go home and spend some time with family. Yeah, I, I, I always, I thought he was an interesting signing at the start of the year, um, obviously coming from Northampton. And he, he hasn't played all that much, but the games he has played, he's played quite well. In. Great. Um, Charles, I'll go to Hooker. I will save you the proper look for a minute. Um, we've actually all gone for the same hooker, I think. Uh, we have all gone for Aka. I can't, I can't think there's any debate on that. Is he the only South African hooker? Hooker? I think in the Prem, yes. Isn't there Willems are uh, Irish? Yeah, but Willems are Irish, but otherwise, yeah, Aka van der Moe. And then obviously Van, van Ruyen, who's I think Willem isn't, isn't Mikey from Zimbabwe. Are we including oh. them too? Ah, oh, see, that I... was a question we had before, actually, about... Um, Byron McGuigan. Yeah. This is a this is a question I get asked all the time. Why are you including Byron? He's from Namibia. I'm like because it's Southern Africans abroad, and then I get sent a definition of Safas abroad. I'm like, yes, it means South Africans abroad, but I'm trying to, as a whole, promote Southern Africans, especially the countries that that aren't as big as South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Namibia. But yeah, we can include. I guess next time you you bring this up, you can include like the Namibians, Zimbabweans. Um, but for the sake of today's episode, 100% Aka Fanamarva, I mean, their family in general, as you know, are just blasted with talent in, in, in rugby. And he's a great hooker. I, th- I don't think he gets as much credit as he deserves. Um, currently injured. I'm not sure how long. I think it was another two months or something that he's still going to be out. Obviously can't confirm or deny anything at this point, but... Um, he's a great choice at hooker. I think he's insane. Like he's absolutely amazing. Like, I think if of all of the hookers on the in the prem, I think if there was one who I would take on their day at their prime, like if you had to pick one, I would always go for him. I, I don't think there's anyone that really comes close to his um, his his ball carrying ability. For one, I think is is up there with some of the best in the league, not just for position as well. Hey, you're 100. percent He's a gritty player. Um, and I agree with all three of you. Um, tight head, there is one variation. Um, both Tom and I have have uh, Vincent Cock, and then Ben has gone for Wilco Lowe. I agree with Vincent Cock on this one. Um, I think you've got to have a spring. I mean, if you if you've got a, someone going up against a current Springbok, that that will be my reasoning. Um, but I also think more towards the end of us finding out that Vincent is going to be leaving Saris. To join Wasps, um, he's, he's, he's almost in a way playing his heart out at the moment. Um, but he's always been good. He's always been a very dependable, reliable player, a great guy too. Um, Wilco, you know, he's, he's, he's getting his chance in the box side, but is he? Um, he's one that's, again, highly underrated. Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to see him a lot more in, in the Springbok side, but... I guess we're going to get to a, 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 a stage in the conversation like why certain players are probably not in there, but we can cross that bridge when we get there. But I, I've, I've gone for Vincent Koch too. Wilco Lowe for me is incredibly underrated. We talk about this Quinn team that won the Premiership last year. He's such a massive part of it. He's someone you can like rely on in a scrum and around the pitch as like a ball carrier hitting rocks. Mm. I think if he doesn't get picked by South Africa, we could look 
Like, I'd love to have him as an England player if he qualified on residency eventually. Isn't that going to be a case for most of the players? That are, are yeah, it could, it could be, yeah. If both of them are, I think, underrated in their own way. I think Vincent Cock as well does get underrated. His consistency, I think, is what gets underrated. Like, I have never seen him play badly for us, at least. Ever. He's always great. Um, and I think that, again, with Wilco, like, he's kind of... I think the Quinns team that won the Prem, so much of the, like... The praise gets shone on, on obviously, Marcus Smith and Danny Kerr and Alex Dombrandt, and rightly so. But I think that, yeah, that front row was such a big part of why they won, even just that semi-final. Um, uh, and, yeah, I think he's a huge, hugely important part of that as well. Vincent Koch, I think for the Springboks, you know, he's he's got one, one job to do. So he's obviously part of the infamous bomb squad. They have a job to do when they come on, typically in the second half. And then, of course, Vincent Koch at Saracens, he's, he's got a bit more freedom. Um, not in the sense that he's not, he's not got a job to do, but he has a bit more fluidity, is the word I'm looking for, at, at Saris than he does as a Springbok. But like they all do, they all have one job. You know, they sit under their commander, Rassi Erasmus, well, Jacques Ninaba, who should get as much credit. And you guys, I'm sure, have seen the documentary where this, this mindset of South African rugby in general as an international, it's one way only. Um, and I think, as I alluded to earlier, with a lot of the players who play here, that, that little bit of freedom they have in the club, embracing the fact that, you know, they're, they're doing this for their families back home in South Africa. Um, you know, they've given it a go in, in, in local rugby. One or two of them has given it a go in Japan, some in France, you know, and then they get to come play in the best, for me, it's the best league in the world, the Premiership. And, they're going to embrace them. They're going to, you know, do everything they can. On top of all that, add all the freedom, add all the fluidity, add all the, you know, chances they are given to to show their skill sets. Um, that's why I actually think he's a better player for comparison than he is the Springboks. Yeah, I probably agree with that. I think he probably does more. He does not more for us, but I think at Saracens he does. He has a. I mean, I think you're right. His his role is more fluid. Um, he's he's used a lot more around the field for us. Um, and we're going to miss him so much when he leaves. Um, yeah. so we've got front row then of Francois Van Vake, Akka van der Merwe, and Vincent Koch. I think second row is going to be. Well, second and back row is going to be the hardest by a thousand miles. Um, yeah. Just based yeah. on some of them playing in different positions as well. I'll give you the options that we've got um, and you can kind of combine them in whatever way you think. So okay. Ben has gone for uh, Lude and Jean-Luc Dupree. Uh, yeah. Tom has gone for David Ribbons and Jean-Luc Dupree. And I have gone for Lude, and I threw the curveball in of Stefan Levis, who I think goes really underrated. You know, I think my combination would probably have to be going on the basis of who we have up front, but also because I think these two, apart from the other bit, are probably two of the best locks this side of the world would be Lure Diaga. I mean, let's let's take away all of the uh, the current news about him that he's you know wants to go back to South Africa because of family family um, whatever the the issues there of course that's a personal choice I guess that he's not been 
the return the return investment has not been as much as what Sale fans thought with him recently. But there's a lot going on in, on in his life, I guess, personally. Um, but again, for the sake of this uh, task, I, I would have gone for Lourdes at four. And then I do like Jean-Luc Dupree. Uh, I guess I should say it the right way. Jean-Luc Dupree um, next to him. I think in general, the the friendship they have at Sale, is it, the, the, the bond they have is quite strong in general. I think together... Uh, when when Jean-Luc plays at lock, I prefer him there than I do at back row. I think that's better left to his brother. Um, and I think they're a very good combination. And on, on a good day, you know, you can have Lua Diaga, you know, who's allowed to compromise a little bit in lineouts because he's he's definitely your, your first lineout choice there. I know JP Dupree is now leaving and he sort of did a bit of a lewd role you know, uh, when he wasn't maybe on form or wasn't available, John Luke's really sort of stepped up in lock. And, you know, I think he's come to terms that that's probably going to be his best. That's going to be his best option to get picked as a springbok is. Uh, I know that seems bizarre because you've got Eben Ekebet and you've got Lou Diarca. Luke gets a bit of stick uh, in this country for, so obviously he struggles to get on the pitch. He, he's barely played since he got here, but... When he does play, you can you can see his quality from a mile away. Like the things he does, no other player can do sometimes. Yeah, and the thing is, it's 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 it, it must be the personal aspect. I mean, you know, I I, I always look at them as, as people first, and, and then rugby players. Um, there's definitely something going on. I've genuinely not been told. I don't think anybody's been told. Um, I also don't think there were talks of him going to to lose. I don't think that's maybe going to happen. Um, but you guys in general and everybody here, from, from what you know, what I will say is just keep an eye out. Why are all these South Africans all of a sudden going back to, back to South Africa? And on top of that, I guess something we might cover a bit later, like the, the idea of the Springboks being Six Nations and something behind the scenes is happening that obviously none of us are going to be told. But uh, yeah, Salud Diaga... Jean-Luc Dupré on my lot. I mean, that is exactly the question that we were kind of discussing earlier. Um, what is the driving factor for why all of these South African players want to return home? And yeah, I guess it's, you'll never quite know, but it is interesting that it's, it's, come, it's now that they've all decided to start, start heading home. Um, okay, great. So second row of Lutiaga and Jean-Luc Dupré. Um, the back row again is going to be really difficult. Um We've all gone for slightly different variations. I feel like whoever you yeah. pick here, you can't go wrong. It's just so much quality. I agree, I agree yes. Ben has gone for Ruan Ackerman, Dan Dupria, and Hanro Liebenberg. Mm-hmm. Tom has gone for the full Leicester back row of Hanro Liebenberg, Marco van Staden, and Jasper Visa. And then myself, I put John Luke in the back row. So we can ignore him. And then I've gone for Hanra Liebenberg and Dan Dupree. Uh, I, I, I have two options at eight. I really can't pick between two. And I'll give you both reasons why. Um, open side and blind side, is, it's a much easier option for me. It has to be, in the current form, it has to be the, the Leicester. Uh, uh, so it has to be Hanra Liebenberg. And Marco van Staden. Um, I can't say too much about Marco's situation at the moment. Um, well, I'm not sure how much I can say, but I know obviously that he's injured at the moment. Um, 
and he's obviously recovering and that's going to be his uh, main priority. But when he is playing, when he is on form, I think the Leicester back row in general, I think they've just been tough to beat. They really have been tough to beat. And the reason I've, I can't pick between the eight is because option A, Jasper Visa, he obviously compliments Hanro Liebenberg and Marco van Staden better than, than anybody else that I, that I know of for, for obvious reasons at Leicester. But then again, the reason um, I've gone for Dan at number eight is, again, you know, he's playing just behind his brother, who, again, I don't think there's anything better than, you know, a better connection than being a set of twins, to be honest. And they, they can sort of almost mimic each other without looking at each other. Um, you see them when they're, you know, when Sale are on form and we're all sitting there surprised, like, oh, Sale's actually winning a game for once. Um, it's because of those two, pretty much. And then when you've got commentators saying, I can't be thick between the brothers and I don't know what's going on because when one clicks, they both click. And that's the value they add to a team. And everywhere they've gone, pretty much, they've gone together and you're getting two for one there. And on song, they're, they're unbeatable. So I agree with Hanro um, Liebenberg. He has, to, he has to be in there. He's, he's 100% in, in that back row. Um, Marco van Staden, he's, he's just a, a very good player. Um, and then I, I really can't pick between Daniel Dupre or, or Jasper. I really, really can't. Um, the gun to my head, it would be Jasper Visa because, you know, because he's just unstoppable at, at Tigers at the moment. But that's not taking anything away from, from Dan. But like, that's, you put me on the spot there. I know we mentioned this yesterday, but it, that's probably the toughest position for me to pick is, that, is the back row. Yeah, no, I'm definitely. I mean, it's hard enough. I mean, when we were picking them ourselves, it was, we had to throw in, we had to obviously throw in different ones. So it wasn't just the same. But I mean, I, I've always loved Dan Dupree, like, ever since he started playing for sale, it was it was so clear how good he was. And I mean, of the two, I've always found him better than John Luke. Yeah, if I take, if I'm in fact, if I'm thinking with my rugby head, uh, I, 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 I do think he's got a better skill set. Yes, I do think he's... I genuinely think, like, sale bias aside, Dan Dupree is probably the most underrated player in the Premiership. I think outside of Alex Dombrand this season, he's been the second best eight in the league. I, I'm I'm going to be very biased, and I, th- I actually think he's better than Alex Dombrand. I couldn't argue with that. That is that is definitely a controversial one, and I'm sure I'm sure there'll be some <laughs> some English fans that will have some stuff to say about that. But I think that the one person that we haven't spoken about uh, that was nominated uh, is Ruan Ackerman, and obviously he's sort of expressed. Uh, that he wants to play for England instead of South Africa, so I think that's, yeah. that's sort of an interesting, an interesting decision from him because obviously the South African back row is, is so strong, and and the options for England are, are strong as well. So I was actually gonna that's that's the question I wanted to poise to you, lads. Was you know is it because that back row, Springbok back row, is just almost impossible to get into forward forwards in general? I mean. I, I personally think a Springbok side, I'm sure it's the same for England and other countries, but for me personally, I think the Springbok side, it's just a very, very difficult side to get into. And, you know, the odd one or two are given a go. And 
I, I, again, I, I think there's more to the story why he's not playing for the Springboks. Again, I don't personally know. I don't go and find, you know, the reasons why. And if he wants to play for England and he has those aspirations, then you're going to get an incredibly good player. Like, but England themselves, you know, they're stuck with some massive talent at the moment. And I guess it's if this, if, you know, this is a topic that people could talk for about hours and, you know, you'd have to really dive deep into, like we discussed earlier, the, the set of skills they have, you know, how do they complement this player over that player and who complements who the, the, the most. And it's just, it's a very, I think, again, bias aside and, you know, emotions aside, I think there are better options as a, as a Springbok than, than him at the moment. You look at what's going well at Gloucester this season, why they're playing so well, and it definitely starts up front. Like, them winning games is built on the, on their driving more and it's built on their, their tight five. And a lot of that is Ackerman, I feel, when you watch them. I think we sort of touched on it earlier. Those those players that are on the fringe of internationals, like, for example, Henry Liebenberg and Rowan Ackerman, they're not quite there, which makes them such good club players because they're not playing international yeah. so you get them all year round valuable, yeah. and they provide the same quality as an international or very similar but to to add to your point there at Tigers though Hanro's at least got Jasper and Mark to come back from international duty to share a bit of you know wisdom or experience they've got on yeah. tour whoever they're playing and you know he can sort of rub off of that whereas Ruan kind of has to do it himself in terms of the South African perspective when he's, you know, surrounded by a good group of English players and your aspirations are to play for England, stick to that. Like, you know, you, you deserve international level. Um, and, it, you know, now is the time to really go for it because England do have quality back rowers. I mean, and every, everybody who wants to be an international player, they have to earn their spot. I think as well, the, the difficulty with getting into that England squad is that it almost doesn't matter how good you are, but the the unit that it's changed this year, this is the first year in a very long time that it's changed, but until this year, there was the England squad. Eddie Jones had his 23 and there was the occasional like player that would drop in and out, but to break it, break into that group was so difficult because he does, he just didn't like changing the structure so you would always have Tom Curry. You would always have Sam Underhill. You would always have Billy. The only way you can get into the England squad is if you have a standout season or a, a standout half season or so. And so for someone like Ackerman, maybe that that like that like drive to be in that England squad is making him play even better. Um, and so for Gloucester, they must absolutely love it because they're getting a quality player every week who rarely misses a game and he puts in a 10 out of 10 or at least close to it every game. If we move to the backs, then nine, nine was kind of. I mean, it's kind of an obvious one, isn't it? Um, we put some variation in just to sort of actually have a bit of discussion around it. Uh, but the three options that we have for nine um, are Fafterklerk, Lewis Schroeder, and Francois Hugard. Uh, my nine is it's it's going to be a, a, a short answer, like the player. It's going to be Fafterklerk. <laughs> Um, I just think he when when he joined uh, the, the Springboks, the the excitement he brings, and you know the frustration he can sometimes bring, or it, it would look like frustration to us on the TV. But 
it's, it's a pre-meditated move. It's probably 99% of the time going to be a box kick. Um, but he has his strengths. I do think I might throw a spanner in the works and say I don't think currently he's the best South African lion. Um, but the guy that I am talking about doesn't play in, in the UK. Who would that be? That's going to be Quervis Reiner. Um, I know I threw a little teaser out there before. I thought people, I think people thought I was joking. I, I wasn't. I think, you know, everything thrown into the mix. Quervis Reiner would be my starting line for the Springboks. Um, in the Prem, it would be Fuff. I just don't think anybody comes close to him. And if they do, they play with him, which, which is his protege. So, uh, you know, he's, he's doing a great job with, with Rafi Quirk, or as we like to call him, Rafi de Klerk. Um And Sayol are getting big value for money there. You know, I guess double up, you know, tenfold. So he is, he is definitely my number nine. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I thought there was pretty much no argument around that. Ten, again, we actually all went for the same ten, um, but I feel like I should add one in. Um, we all put, actually, that's a lie. Tom put Faf in at ten to get Lewis Schroeder in at nine, but we both Ben and I have Bernard Janser van Rensburg, but I guess you can't ignore Rob Dupree as much as he is playing thirteen quite a lot at the moment. Yeah, I think um, okay. We can start with Rob, I suppose. I think the reason they're shifting him across to the centre more um, is because when you have someone who's able to command and conduct the backline just a little bit better than you in AJ McGinty, you're always. I mean, he's going to be your starting ten. Um, so then you know why not utilize Rob's skills and his ability. In a position, I mean, look, it's, it's it's not uncommon to try a South African 10 at, you know, um, centre or even 15 if you're a winger. And they just, they're able to do that at club club rugby. Um, and that's to increase the versatility when, you know, everybody's predicting a 6-2 split or whatever you want to call it. Um, no, let's show them that we've got a bit of versatility. And that this guy... You know, I'll bring him up quickly, but like Cheslin Colby can play 10 and on the wing and 15, where he's just been doing so well at the moment. But yeah, Bernard, again, a guy that I didn't know too much about, to be honest, before he came to the Premiership, I have to admit. Um, but I'm liking what I'm seeing at London Irish. I, I, I feel if, again, I would need a bit more time to sort of really digest the way he's been playing. Um, I guess I'm lucky enough to see firsthand how, how they're keeping up at their clubs. And I think London Irish was a pretty good fit. Um, obviously not, I guess you, you wouldn't be the starting 10 when you've got Paddy Jackson there. Um, but in this team, yeah, he's a good choice at 10. I mean, and if, if you're quite unsure about what to do at 10, you look one way, you've got Faf de Clark, and you look the other way, and you've got the guy we're 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 all about to mention. Um, yeah, so we we can cross that bridge when we get there. I mean, Ben Hart obviously isn't a ten, but 
I think he's he's in the running for both signing of the season and discovery of the season. Like he's been playing crazy good for Irish this season, keeping like Rona and Hepatima two top quality players out of the team. He's the first centre on the team sheet, I feel now. Yeah, he he is he is definitely one of the most underrated players in the premiership. And I think London Irish have done very well in terms of their sort of under the radar signings. Obviously they, they brought in Kyle Rowe as well, who's been immense on the wing. So I think he is definitely up there with one of the signers of the season. He wouldn't have been as successful had he gone to any of the other clubs. I think this season, I think London Irish was the perfect fit. They did a great job, like you say, with keeping that under the wraps. And, you know, he's the kind of player that just gets on with the job. Um, and if you if you had to, you know, sort of ask me to evaluate and conclude, I guess, the conversation and how I describe South Africans who play here in general, he would be a perfect example of they're just so so grateful, truly so grateful, you know, because the quality of rugby in South Africa is always going to be there in South Africa, but there are all these other aspects of, you know, I have, especially at his age, such an opportunity to go make a difference abroad. You know, I'm looking at the Springbok squad. Oh, I'm going up against Damien Dielende and Lucania M. Mm, okay. Um, well, why don't I go play in the UK and make a name for myself there? And I guess in the long run, maybe play for England one day or, or, or something like that. I'm not saying all the players think that way, but, you know, we, we've got to be, I guess if we want to be honest about things in life, then I'd say he's maybe an option. I, I Again, it's going to take a long time for him to get into a Springbok team. Um, there's just too much other talent, you know, who, who sit comfortably at where they deserve to be and keep going, you know. Maybe make a legacy at Irish or something. You never know. I'd obviously, you don't want to see players moving around too much. I don't think anybody does. Um, but he's still quite young, so he is able to still, you know. But he did this in Japan, to be honest with you. Um, it's just, but unfortunately, it's a league that's not viewed that much this side. But I kept tabs on him for the first time in Japan. And, you know, he, he earned his spot here in the UK and... I think he's got to do what, you know, um, like George Crace was doing for Saracens. He just also retired and the legends of the game. And he, he can become a legend at London Irish. So keep doing what he's doing. You know, he's a, a vital cog. Is a vital cog in the wheel? Is that the correct term? Yeah. No, um, no. In, oh, for London Irish. So just keep going. He's, he's a great little player and he's only going to get better. Our midfields, if you remove... Um, Bernard from it because a couple of us put him in. Our midfield is basically the same. We've we've all really gone for Andre and Rowan Janssen van Rensburg. Andre Estes and what else do we say about him? Like, I mean, as a South African fan, we're we're harassing Rasier Rasmus on Twitter. Pick this guy, man! But then you do look at the starting twelve and thirteen, and you go, ah, oh, okay. Fair enough, Dave. He's got a, you know, it's not a case of he's got a bit more work to do. He's ready to be a Springbok centre. And he, I don't think he was before he played for Quinns, I must be honest. I don't think he was quite ready to, to, to be a, a Springbok centre. But I now wholeheartedly believe that he is. I think, again, 
the gratitude and just that undeniable um, faith that you have in yourself because your family's taking care of, you're playing for a championship side, you know, the, the hospitality in the UK. I'm a South African abroad. I remember when I came to the UK the first time in 2001, um, just the, the, the welcome that you get. Let's put sports banter aside, you know, that aside where you're from. It's, 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 it's all a myth, man. Like, I mean, the hospitality in this country for South Africans is, it's, it's, you, you can't compare. It's ridiculous. It's the way people are treated, the, you know, the way you're welcomed. I'm just speaking based on experience of like the local rugby clubs in the Cotswolds where I grew up. And, you know, they're always, you're always the first one they, that they're going to buy a drink for. And they just love having a South African in general on their team. And I can just imagine at, at premiership level, like this unit, you know, who just steps in there. He just looks like a monster, but probably got the softest heart out of anybody there. I guess bar Joe Marler. But like, it's, that's the kind of uh, grace that Andre is showing us at the moment because he's just one of those guys who's super grateful. A lot of these guys are super religious, you know, they're the, like we keep saying, they love their families and they, it's all for, for, for their families and what they believe in. And that's the, you know, it's almost like waking the monster, I suppose, but in a good way since this time, because you're getting these guys at their best. Um, someone who I've not seen in any of these teams to, I guess, deserves a bit of a mention is uh, Joana Augustus, who, you know, he's, he's just a monster at Saints at the moment. And, you know, a lot of people were concerned when, when he came over with, with fitness and perhaps conditioning and, I, I wasn't that concerned because, you know, Saints have, like most of the clubs here, just the, the facilities, the, like we spoke about the hospitality, the, just this brotherhood that people in general in the UK, but like in rugby clubs, just, just, just like upon you, it, it's mad. It's, and Rohan, again, another guy who should 100% be a springbok because why wouldn't you want the likes of Andre Estes and, and Rohan Janssen van Rensburg, you know, because if one of them miraculously doesn't break the line, the other one certainly is, you know, and he's probably going to be able to do that because Andre's probably got about five defenders clung on to him because nobody can get him down. Um, and then you've got the likes of Rohan who's just as devastating next to him. Um but those are perfect choices at 12 and 13 in, in the Gallagher Premiership. Rohan's, Rohan's another one who he struggles to get on the pitch, but when he does, he's quite clearly one of the best players on the pitch every single time. I mean, I think if they're all, if they're all fit, specifically say like Rohan, if Rohan Janser van Rensburg is fit, he's in that sale team. Yeah. I, I can't see any reason why he wouldn't be. As much as I love Sam James, and I, I mean, Mano would start at 12 anyway, but I think especially when Sale did sign Manu, that prospect of having Manu Tuolangi and Rohan Janssen van Rensburg in the same team at the same time is just terrifying to anybody. Um, uh, and I guess our team that we've put together, having Andre and, and Rohan in that same squad as well, is considering neither of the two of them are starting for South Africa, that's, that's a formidable second team. Um, so 
I mean, yeah. I, and also, I mean, I think Andre is on on course this season. Um, there's definitely a lot of people going for it, but he's definitely on course this season for Player of the Year. I think he's his man of the match tally this season has been quite quite ridiculous. I think he's had three. Great. So that's the midfield. Uh, back three. Um, I can kind of, we can kind of all do them, do it all at the same time because I can imagine fifteen is going to be reasonably easy. Um, the the wing options that we have are Skosen, Duan van der Merwe, Francois Hugard, Byron McGuigan. If we're going to consider if we're considering um, Southern Africa, uh, and then all three of us put Tyrone Green at fifteen. Yeah, Cordnell, again, another guy who, you know, at the Cheetahs, very rapid. His, his, his main objective was, give me the ball, put me in a bit of space, and I'll do the rest. I'm, I'm not going to be caught. I'm just too quick. Um, I, I think he's got to work a little bit more on the defensive side of things. Um, but again, he's, he's in the right place, with the right kind of mindset behind his... his um, place in the team and I'm sure they had that conversation before he was signed like most players you know this is what we want to work on this is what we definitely need to work on I'm sure coaches are you know mature enough to say look let's be honest here let's address the elephants in the room um, your defensive side is not as strong as your your attack but that's something we can definitely help you with yeah he's a great choice at wing um, I agree with that one uh, Tyrone Green, I'll get him out of the way. I think that's the perfect choice. I, again, people screaming, blue murder, get this guy in the Springbok team. He's out 15. Um, but, you know, they can't just get rid of someone like Vili LaRue, although he gets a lot of stick, I know. But that guy's worked very hard to be a Springbok, and it's a case of, you know, him. And Vili LaRue has an, an incredible rugby mind. You know, when he's not on the field, um, I'm sure you saw it in the Lions series um, or over in uh, Australia and New Zealand where he's, con- he's a bit like a conductor on and off the field. You know, let's take his, his catching out of this story for a moment, but um, it happens, you know, it happens. But the next guy for me, genuinely, we've got uh, Apalele Fassi, who obviously plays over in South Africa, who's... who's who people are saying is is the next South African Springbok 15. Um, but I disagree. I personally genuinely think, um, which comes a bit of a surprise because, again, Tyrone Green wasn't as good as what he is now before he came to the Premiership. And it's a clear case of, you know, um, the nurturing that was what's, what's happening at, at Quinn's with him. He's in an environment that he's absolutely... Loving at the moment, you know, they're all young, um, and obviously, they've got this, this click at you know that back line with Marcus and Tyrone, and but just the, the, the relationship they have with each other. Um, he's in the right place. I, I just I can't actually see Tyrone Green anywhere else in any of the premiership teams, to be honest. They've got to do something about it quick because you know, he's another one that's you know, they're, they're already questioning if he's got grandmas and grandpas around the UK, a lost aunt or uncle somewhere. Um, On that topic, Darren, um, I've cheated slightly. I've gone for Duhan van der Merwe, who obviously plays for Scotland. He's originally from South Africa. If he had stayed in South Africa, 
would you would you pick him on his current form to start for you? No, no. I don't think he would have been given that option or um, given the opportunity. Sorry, not the option. So I, again, I'm going to repeat myself here because all these South Africans abroad are are giving you their best because they're so grateful for being here and for the opportunity. And when someone is so grateful for something, they show it. And these guys are showing it on the field week in, week out. I, I rate him highly. Um, but to answer your question, had he not been playing in, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't have. He's, he's not my first choice. Um, but he is, he is this side. And I guess he's, he's classed as a South African abroad. Um, and I've always wanted to see him and his brother in the same team, this side. So here we go. Now the, I've got my dream come true because of you guys. Is Duan going to be your other wing option then? Based on who else we've got here, Francois Hogart, he's just sort of gelled into that wing position. I prefer him at wing. Um, Byron, he's got to stop getting red cards. But yes, Duan van der is is my choice. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and I guess thank you to everyone who's listened to the uh, first episode of the Match Report podcast. Thank you. I mean, I, I, it's an absolute honour um, you know, to be asked to do this. And um, I'm, I'm a, you know, I regret that it's not a little bit longer. I think we can probably chat for a lot more. Um, but genuinely, I'm, I'm super grateful and uh, I appreciate it. So thank you very much.